it just continues. My, oh my. Rapino sends it in low. Go, U.S. It's Sue Bird's building. You bet. She's on punches right now. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. As always, I am your host, Charles Hammaker here. You can see uh, Bella Garcia is still taking some time. Uh, thankfully, her dog, Rod, had successful surgery, so that's good to know that Rod is in recovery there, and again, hoping for the best for Rod, Matt, Bell, uh, and again, Bell will join the show whenever she feels ready to do so. I'm not here to... Uh, rush anybody into decisions that they don't feel comfortable making. So uh, in terms of our Seattle sports teams, the Seahawks lost a brutal, fr- another frustrating contest, uh, this time to the Carolina Panthers at home. The Seattle Mariners had some minor news, but some uh, interesting notes from the winter meetings. The Seattle Storm are going to take a look at Brianna Stewart in the news. We have some positive news in the light of Brittany Griner, as well as take a look back at the uh, WNBA schedule release. Uh, the Sounders have some news about a young midfielder turned right back. Potentially the Kraken snapped their three game win streak last night, thankfully, and dropped a ton of news on us uh, this morning. Let's see what else do we got here. The rain are silent this week. The Seawolves continue to make impressive signings, bolstering their roster fresh off of an MLR title appearance. And the Seattle Sea Dragons uh, unveiled their 2023 uniforms, which drew the ire of some fans. Uh, I'll let you decide on that once we get to that segment. But taking that all into consideration, we're going to jump straight into our Seattle Seahawks news here. Uh, again, a tough loss to the Carolina Panthers, a frustrating one um, as the Seahawks fell 30-24. to uh, this was just a game where Seattle again could not stop the run. That sounds like a continuing trend, does it not? Um, it just couldn't stop the run. The game started off poorly. The team was down by three possessions at one point in the first quarter. Uh, Gino threw two interceptions. It was his first two interception game since I believe 2018 was the word uh, that I received on that. Just a tough one there. Seattle was able to bring it close, but was not able to get the stops necessary or convert offensively in those late stages to be able to win that game and now drop to seven and six. And they are out of the playoff hunt currently. They are, well, they're out of a playoff seed. They're currently in the hunt, excuse me, um, and they're third in the division. No, pardon me. They are second um, in the division uh, behind the 49ers. So, Tough one here. Uh, we'll look at the inactives really quick just so you get an idea of what the Seahawks were dealing with. Uh, the inactives list looked like this. Offensive lineman Jake Curran, running backs DJ Dallas and Kenneth Walker the third were not able to go for this one, so the run game on the Seahawks side of things was heavily impacted. Wide receiver Penny Hart was inactive. D-line Shelby Harris, who was a surprise add to this list late. Uh, he was battling the flu. Uh, and could not make that game, which is a big loss on that defensive line. And cornerbacks Artie Burns and Justin Coleman uh, were inactive for that game. So we'll look now at offensive and defensive players of the game here. Before we get to general discussion, I went with Marquise Goodwin as my offensive player of the game here. Five receptions, 95 yards, and a touchdown led the Seahawks offense and was really the main bright spot on that offense. Gino had three touchdown passes, um, but the two interceptions really hinders him there. No rushing game really to speak of. Uh, Tyler Lockett would actually break a Seahawks record by recording six consecutive games with a touchdown reception. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, I went with Bruce Irvin. Bruce had six total tackles, three solo, one sack, one tackle for loss, and one quarterback hit. Um, just generally filling up the stat sheet there is why I went with Bruce. So now let's get to the general discussion of this game. <sighs> It's tough to imagine that the Seahawks team can really make any sort of playoff push, any sort of noise as the season progresses when they really can't stop the run at all. 
I mean, Carolina ran the ball 46 times for a grand total of 223 yards. So over the last three games, Seattle's opponents have been able to rush for about 900, uh, 900, 700 rushing yards. Um, that's just horrendous. That is terrible. This was more of the Seahawks defense that we saw earlier in the year. Um, and we're wondering if it could get any better. There was that stretch of time where this defense looked great, looked far improved and was helping winning them games. And now we don't know where that really is. Uh, it's, it's, it's really tough. It's tough to look at this team and say, have much confidence really in them, just considering how poor the rush defense has been, um, not being able to get stops late in the game. You know, Seattle had several opportunities where the defense actually did get them stops. There was a fourth down stop, uh, so turnover on downs. Just And then on the other side of things, the offensive side of the ball couldn't convert when it mattered. You know, there's too many punts uh, late in that game, and it's just a frustrating. You know, this Carolina team has seen some recent success as of late, but still this is a game that you should have won all things considered. And again, to go back to it, to go back to the beginning of the season, obviously this is not a team that many of us expected to compete the way that they have over the course of this 2022 season. Now that doesn't mean that they shouldn't have won games like this. Uh, even the Tampa game, you know, a bunch of these losses are just downright frustrating. Um, and the road won't get much easier for them as they now go on to face the 49ers on Thursday night football. If we look back to week two, when these teams faced off, Seattle just looked horrendous. Couldn't get anything going. Uh, the only points really that they got were off of a blocked field goal that Tariq Woolen took all the way back for a touchdown. Um, and the 49ers just able to have their way. Taking that into consideration now, this 49ers team has Brock Purdy has stepped in for Jimmy Garoppolo and he's, filling that situation well. They've added Christian McCaffrey. Uh, unfortunately, Debo Samuel went down with injury, so hoping he's all right. You never want to see injury. Um, but the point being is that this 49ers offense has a ton of talent, let alone their defensive side of the ball, which is what gave the Seahawks fits in week two. So this is a big game on Thursday night, and it's on short rest coming off of this loss where you couldn't stop the run. The 49ers can run the ball well with, you know, obviously Christian McCaffrey, let alone who they've got on the offensive uh, weaponry side of the ball. It's a big game. It's a big game, and it may help decide whether or not the Seahawks are going to the playoffs or not. So, and again, to go back to what I just talked about, this is not a team that a lot of people expected to be competitive necessarily. Um throughout the course of the year. So I can't be mad at it. You know, your draft pick is still pretty damn good in the first round of things. But again, it's, it's just frustrating when you see games like this that are in reach and you see the adjustments that need to be made and they're not being made. And these are adjustments that have been, you know, pointed week after week, essentially. So, you know, why that's not being fixed, why those adjustments aren't being made, why the tune-ups aren't being put into place that's on the coaching staff. At the end of the day, that's on the coaching staff. Does some of that potentially fall on the personnel? Yes. But at the end of the day, the coaching staff's there to be able to put the players that you have on the roster in the best position to succeed. And that's not happening currently. So this is a big game on Thursday. Regardless, let's get to the rest of the news for our Seahawks here. Um, in sort of terms of injuries, December 6th, safety Josh Jones was placed on IR with a hamstring injury. So that's safety position is already sort of reeling there with um, excuse me, Jamal Adams going down earlier in the season. Uh, Ryan Neal is currently nursing some injuries, not only a, an arm one, but a knee injury. He was on the injury report this week with a knee injury. Uh, now Josh Jones, essentially a third string guy uh, is out for the uh, on injured reserve with the hamstring injury as a corresponding move. The team signed running back Wayne Gallman jr. To the practice squad. As you can see on your screen here, December 10th, the team activated linebacker, John Radigan from the physically unable to perform list and elevated running back Godwin Iguabike and wide receiver Laquan Treadwell from the practice squad. On December 11th, it was announced that Ken Walker III and DJ Dallas were both out at running back for Seattle and that Tony Jones Jr. was expected to get the start at running back with Travis Homer to back up. So if you look at that game, I know I talked about the offensive issues where Seattle really couldn't get the ball going to begin the game and then in the end when you needed those points. Um, hard to blame much of that on the running game just considering you're down to your effective third and fourth string guys uh well i mean if you factor in rashad penny uh ken walker rashad penny dj dallas 
Travis Homer, Tony Jones Jr., you're effectively down to your fourth and fifth guys, which is not ideal. And Godwin Iguibike, uh did well on the kickoff side of things, so some people want him to be the uh, kick returner going forward. We'll see about that. I know he was the guy that's kind of hovered around the practice squad, and I don't know if that warrants keeping him up, but uh, nice to see someone take advantage of their opportunity uh, when that arose. So we'll continue with the news here. Uh, just a small note on injury before we go to team notes. In the third quarter, defensive tackle Al Woods left with a heel injury and was doubtful to return. So, again, a an already poor rush defense for the Seahawks just loses another key contributor there. Uh, yeah, that rush defense is just bad, and I don't know when it will turn around. We get to team notes here as we look towards more of a positive uh, sort of situation. As on December 6th, it was announced that wide receiver Tyler Lockett was named as the team's nominee for the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. Lockett is the first Seahawks player to be nominated for the Man of the Year Award in consecutive seasons since the year 2000 and only one of five players in team history with multiple nominations. Both Russell Wilson and Steve Largent are the only two players in franchise history to win the award, which is considered one of the NFL's most prestigious honors. Uh, Lockett was also last year's winner of the Steve Largent Award in the franchise, given to the player who best exemplifies the spirit, dedication, and integrity of the Seahawks, as well as the 2021 Art Rooney Sportsmanship Award. And this year, he was voted as a team captain for the first time in his career. Uh, Lockett recently launched a college scholarship program in which he selected seven students to receive $34,000 in scholarships for the 2021-22 to academic year. Those students were awarded scholarships, have since been admitted to Tennessee State University, Wichita State University, Northeastern Oklahoma Oklahoma A&M College, Oral Roberts University, and Tulsa Community College. Lockett also hosted 12 Tulsa Public School students as part of a job shadow program with students participating in a three-day job shadow with Virginia Mason Franciscan Health, Keller Williams Realty, and the Seattle Seahawks. Those participating students were awarded $5,000 scholarships for a total of $60,000 in scholarships. So just to generally wrap that up, uh, you can tell just, you know, if you're a follower of Tyler Lockett in any way, shape, or form, He's a good dude. I mean, just from the general story about how, I mean, I remember he was drafted primarily as a kick returner out of Kansas State um, with the 69th pick in that draft. He was selected in, and just to see him sort of grow, you know, he's a realtor now in the offseason. Um, I believe he recently got married in the offseason as well. People have he's been a fan favorite for many reasons, including the toe-tap touchdowns that he's got um, over his time in the blue and green. So to see him nominated for this award makes a lot of sense, and certainly we'd like to see him uh, win that award as well. So uh, we'll look at some league news here to finalize our Seahawks segment. December 8th, the House released the Snyder Report. A committee found that Commander's owner Daniel Snyder permitted and participated in a toxic culture and obstructed congressional inquiry. So uh, things continue to be poor there for the Washington commanders owner, Daniel Snyder. And you can just hope that uh, sooner rather than later, he is out as their owner. December 9th, the saints were fined nearly, uh, no, not nearly over half a million dollars by the NFL. The league levied a huge fine against defensive end Cameron Jordan coaches and the team itself for allegedly faking an injury against the Buccaneers. Uh, on December 11th, Tom Brady could be back in 2023. Brady will consider all options when he hits free agency this offseason. So it seems we can't escape that man just yet. We'll look ahead uh, towards record and standings here for our Seahawks, who, again, as I mentioned, have a tough game against the 49ers on Thursday, Thursday night football. The Seahawks hit at a 7-6 and six record, second in the NFC West. They are currently in the hunt for a playoff spot in the NFC. Uh, looking ahead, their next matchup is December 15th versus the San Francisco 49ers with a kickoff time of 5.15 Pacific time on Amazon Prime. That is Thursday night football. It's a big game. Uh, excuse me. Not only are you looking to keep your playoff hopes alive, but, you know, uh, obviously the divisional bragging rights and the fact that you got uh, you got wiped with uh, the team wiped the floor with you last time your team the both met in week two. So. We will transition here over to our Seattle Mariners who continue to be in the thick of the offseason. And, you know, despite uh, some moves being made and some some upgrades taking place, a lot of the fan base is still upset with the lack of uh, move and lack of money spent in this offseason for the Mariners. So uh, before we get into that and the winter uh, meetings news on December 5th, 
pitching coach Pete Woodworth was named Baseball America's MLB Coach of the Year. Woodworth, 34 years old, uh, spent the 2022 season in his third year as the team's pitching coach. The Mariners pitching staff went 90 and 72 with 40 saves and a 3.59 ERA, setting a single season franchise record with 1,391 strikeouts on the year. Um, Mariners manager Scott Service said Woody has done an incredible job of helping our pitchers get the most of their ability. Along with our bullpen coach Trent Blank, they have created an awesome environment around our pitching staff with their communication skills and baseball acumen. Woodworth oversaw a Seattle pitching staff that featured a starting rotation that posted the second most quality starts in the American League with 79 and a bullpen that led the American League in whip 1.08. Opponent batting average with 207 and hits per nine innings, 6.72, in addition to a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 3.22. As the youngest pitching coach in MLB, uh, Woodworth helped Seattle's pitching staff improve as the season went on, leading the majors in lowest average exit velocity at 87.4 miles an hour during the second half of the season per baseball savant. From August 23rd to September 14th, the Mariners starting rotation went 11-3 and with a 1.68 ERA with 14 walks and 114 strikeouts in those 20 starts, setting a franchise record for the lowest starters ERA over a 20-game stretch. So it's safe to say with all of those numbers and stats, uh, that I just threw at you that it, just as if you're a fan of the Mariners and you pay attention to that sort of thing, Pete Woodworth's value to this ball club is incredible. Just, you know, you, you talked about Trent Blank and the bullpen coach and the bullpen as a whole, you know, the whole Los Bomberos thing. Um, that pitching staff, uh, and I talk about coaching staff, not necessarily the players, there has been able to take a bunch of players over the last few, the time that Woodworth has been here in this organization and really help them improve, take it to another gear. Um, and some of them resurrect their careers. Uh, you look at Chris Flexen, a guy that was in the KBO and came to this Mariners team and was a key, key starter for them in 2021 and provided key innings this past season. Paul Sewald was a guy who was kind of looked at as an ad cast. Um, has been able to take the young pitchers of Logan Gilbert and George Kirby to another level as they've reached the MLB uh, sort of stage. So it's, it's really cool to see Woodworth get acknowledged for this and appreciate him liking our post about it on Instagram. Um, this one, not too much of a surprise here, adding to his impressive trophy case after just year one. Julio Rodriguez was named to the All-MLB second team, which was a fan and player voted thing. Uh, so, I mean, I could sit here and throw more of the numbers of Julio at you, but we've done that as he's been given several Rookie of the Year awards, given the real Rookie of the Year award, et cetera, you know, being named to the All-Star game. Uh, we could get to that, but impressive to see Julio um, just continue to add to his essentially stacked trophy case after just one year. Now we get to the notes from the winter meetings, uh, which a lot of people have been waiting for in terms of free agents, you know, spending money, adding and just generally improving this Mariners team. Scott Service said that the Mariners are currently in discussions with Luis Castillo and Nelson Cruz. Cruz is currently the general manager of the Dominican Republic team for the World Baseball Classic. Those two talking about whether Castillo will pitch or not in the World Baseball Classic. Like most managers, Service would prefer that his team's ace does not pitch in the World Baseball Classic. That one a little bit, I'd say it's a little bit more lighthearted, but I don't know if it's more serious than not. Uh, Jerry Depoto reiterated that they would like to add at least one or even two hitters to their current roster. Um, a right-handed bat that could play corner outfield would be ideal or a player that could play the corner infield spots, considering that the team lost Carlos Santana to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, when asked if they were nearing the goal line or in the red zone on closing any deals for those position players of need, uh, president of baseball operations, Jerry Depoto joked that they weren't past the 50 yard line yet. Um, Adding a player that could play the corner infield spots would be a nice luxury since the Mariners aren't quite positive on Evan White's health and have no cover for Ty Francie if he were to get injured like they did last year with Carlos Santana. DePoto confirmed that utility player Dylan Moore will undergo surgery for a core injury that has nagged him since the end of the season. First source is Moore is in Philadelphia at the Vincera Institute to undergo the procedure in the coming days. It's a six to eight week recovery. DePoto, who found out about it recently, does not think it's an overly concerning uh, piece of information and is expected to be full strength for the start of spring training. So just looking at that there, 
it's interesting. The most interesting tidbit there from DePoto was adding one or two hitters to this roster at least. Uh, they talked about the corner outfield, you know, with that left field sort of being un, it's not, not established necessarily. I know you've got a couple of players that could fit in there. Uh, you know, Jared Kelnick, Sam Haggerty. Um, and then the corner infield as well, you know, with uh, being able to give guys. So Abraham Toro's gone with that trade for Colton Wong. Uh, and Carlos Santana is gone. So, yeah, you really do need someone who's going to be able to play the corner infield. Um, and obviously you'd like that to be someone who can contribute on the offensive end as well. So uh, technically then the second most important piece of information is that DePoto basically – he says that this team isn't anywhere close uh, on a deal to add to those positions of need. Um, I've been lied to before uh, by these coaches and staff members, you know, with this the media quotes. But – I don't know. It's really interesting to see. I know a bunch of people have wanted the Mariners to make certain moves uh, for some of the bigger name players um, in this offseason, but that just hasn't happened. And a bunch of these players are honestly being overpaid. So I'm okay with that. But obviously, you know, the urgency to be able to upgrade your team, uh, you know, with Houston still remaining uh, a tough team to play in your own division, uh, the Rangers are adding pieces. It's uh, it's a critical time, and you'd like to improve as well. So uh, some other sort of notes here. On the 7th uh, of December, the team signed relief pitcher Casey Sadler to a minor league deal. He missed all of last season with a shoulder injury. His 2021 season is what people got people so excited, and that's something that you can add to Pete Woodworth's you know praise. Uh, Sadler, in his 2021 season, pitched 40.1 innings, had a 0.67 ERA, 37 strikeouts, and an opponent batting average of 143. So if the Mariners are able to get that Sadler back, it's a huge addition to this bullpen, something that a lot of people were hoping to see in the 2022 bullpen, but the shoulder injury obviously held Sadler out. Um, also on the 7th in the Rule 5 draft, the team selected right-handed pitcher Chris Clark from the Cubs AAA affiliate. Uh, last year, uh, Clark struck out 110 batters with 25 walks and 120 in the third innings pitched last season between high A and double A for the Cubs uh, farm system. So taking that all into consideration, I, I would just... I would say be patient, but I know a lot of the fan base doesn't want to do that. I know we're in December. Uh, spring, pitchers and catchers don't report until February 14th if the current you know timeline sticks. Um, but I do understand that you know seeing a bunch of these moves, and I'm going to rattle off a bunch of them, uh, hurts. And especially considering that the Mariners did lose outfielder Mitch Hanniger to free agency. I respect it. I understand it with the move for Teoscar Hernandez. I was kind of leaning towards the fact that maybe this team is, you know, looking in another direction and i was right unfortunately so we'll look at free agency and the mariners missing out on some of these players mitch hanniger signed a three-year 43.5 million dollar deal with the san francisco giants so mitch returns home gets to stay on the west coast outfielder masataka yoshida signed a five-year 105.4 million dollar deal with the boston red sox overpay outfielder aaron judge signed a nine-year 360 million dollar deal with the yankees judge saying he didn't want to surrender his legacy over dollars uh, i still don't think the yankees are going to win the world series anytime soon but hey do you buddy um Shortstop Xander Bogarts signed an 11-year, $280 million deal with the San Diego Padres. Outfielder Brandon Nimmo signed an 8-year, $162 million deal with the New York Mets. And Kodai Senga, uh, starting pitcher, signed a 5-year, $75 million deal with the New York Mets. Probably the only non-overpaid deal uh, amongst a bunch of those currently taking place in free agency. So... Again, it's going to be tough. I understand seeing a bunch of these players sign to different teams, but with the amount of money that's being shelled out, Jerry Depoto has also basically said that we're not going to just spend to spend. You know, we're going to make smart decisions for the future of this franchise. In addition to you know, players that are going to help in the current state of where this team is, and they don't want to overpay and sacrifice uh, resources that would help this team going forward for a right now situation. So I understand that, but I understand also the sort of need for urgency uh, in this free agency period. On December 6th, a report came out that the MLB used three types of balls over the 2022 season, despite Commissioner Rob Manfred saying that they had to use one type of ball. A SABR award-winning physicist says that the evidence indicates that three different baseballs were used throughout the 2022 seasons. A quote-unquote Goldilocks ball was used for 
was used the most for three types of games, specialty games, all-star weekends, but special promo games, the postseason, and New York Yankees games. Isn't that kind of funny? Um, on December 11th, it was announced that Brian Reynolds' price tag is Soto-like. The Pirates reportedly want a lot for their disgruntled outfielder who executives describe as unlikely to move. I know that this is Brian Reynolds of the Pittsburgh Pirates, a uh, pretty solid outfielder, has some defensive struggles, is someone that a lot of people want uh, via trade for the Mariners, uh, considering also that left field spot. But when you talk about his price tag being similar to that of Juan Soto, oops, no. That's that shouldn't be considered serious, and the Mariners should not entertain that type of deal. You don't want to, no, no. I know that that's something that people are interested in, and if somehow Jerry Depoto were able to pull off a move that doesn't hurt this team too much, sure, go ahead. But I don't see that happening. So anyway, I digress. Let's move on. Um, so uh, normally, you know, I'd say nothing's looking ahead here, but just so you get an idea of how long it'll take before we see Mariners baseball again, pitchers and catchers report on February 14th of 2023. So put that in the calendar and we'll look ahead to that. Switching over here to our Seattle Storm here. Uh, on December 8th, Brianna Stewart was named as the 2022 Clio Awards Impact Award recipient. Uh, Stewart was quoted as an activist and professional basketball player for the Storm. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Brianna sets records both in basketball and life. A natural on social media, Stewie is a universally liked star, known for her humble yet determined spirit and matter of fact, honest personality. Just as impressive off the court, Stewie fought adversity and successfully rehabbed from a season ending Achilles injury in 2019. During that time, she decided to freeze her eggs and fell in love with her now wife, Marta, which ultimately led to her inspirational journey of becoming mom to Ruby through uh, gestational surrogacy. Uh, destigmatizing fertility conversations for sport and women in the workplace, Stewie shattered the notion that a woman cannot be the best player in the world and have a baby. As she asserts, why can't I do both? Defying expectations and convention count on Stewie to continually set records and milestones both in basketball and in life. Since the moment that Stewart turned pro, she has embraced the opportunity to advocate for causes bigger than herself. When she won the 2016 ESPY for Best Female Athlete, she gave a speech calling out the media for its lack of coverage of women's sports. Not us, though. That same year, she joined her colleagues across the league in standing up for Black Lives Matter. In 2017, she stood up for the LGBTQ community and proudly championed the inclusive culture of the WNBA. And in October of 2018, she came forward as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse with a uh, moving first-person essay with the Players' Tribune going on to launch a national campaign to help others uh, other victims and their families. Just going over that sort of uh, list of accolades and what Stewie has been able to do off the court. We already know, you know, as, as you know, covering the storm and anyone that's a storm fan, knowing what Stewie can do on the court is one thing, but seeing that the woman and the person that Stewie is, uh, it absolutely makes sense to see her named as the impact award recipient for the 2022 Clio awards. Um, it's hard to say much else. I mean, it's it's incredible to see the, you know, obviously the athlete and the competitor that Brianna Stewart is, but just what she's able to accomplish off the court, you know, in terms of uh, how impressive they are, you could say they're equal, just, you know, and that's saying a lot because Dewey is an incredibly impressive athlete. Um, we want to look now toward, I wanted to just pick out a few games that I'm, uh, sort of proverbially circling on the storm uh, schedule, which you don't necessarily want to do. Uh, you want to all play all the games the same. You don't want to necessarily um, look ahead to certain ones, but just in terms of defining this 2023 storm team, opening night's going to be big May 20th versus the aces here at climate pledge arena. What is that starting five going to look like? What is the 13 player roster going to look like the bench? You know, this is, this is a big this, this sort of, it's a big season for the storm. I keep saying that. I know I keep putting that out there. You know, I don't mean to put any pressure on general manager Talisa Rea. Uh, met her over the weekend. I apologize to Talisa. Um, but it's it's big. You know, I, I think this storm front office knows that. You know, with Drew Lloyd being under contract, you know, currently unsure of Brianna Stewart's plans, uh, whether to play overseas or to play here. Um, 
and just with the general marketing, it seems like Stewie's gonna be here. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, but then you've got the point guard situation to figure out. You have to let Ezzy Magbagor play the five. Um, the bench, the storm bench has been so key to its championship titles uh, over the four times that they've accomplished that feat. Uh, you know, with players like Sammy Whitcomb coming off the bench, what happens there? Who do you add to help you defensively? Like when you had an Alicia Clark a few years ago, it's, it's going to be a big off season for this storm team and seeing what that starting five will look like uh, when May 20th hits will be, it'll be interesting to see uh, what takes place over free agency, but we've, Got to get through that still. And then the other thing that I wanted to highlight, seven of Seattle, we talked about this last week, but seven of Seattle's last nine games of the year on the road. Seattle faced a tough sort of situation with, I believe, their last three games on the, of the season uh, last year being on the road, and they were able to win out. So uh, just disregard the fact that seven of the last nine of the uh, on the road, what sort of situation will the Storm team be by the time those uh, last nine games of the season roll up, will it, will they matter? You know, will it just be, maybe we're just developing some young talent or will it be Seattle's got to get through these uh, seven of the last nine to secure their playoff spot and their seating. Again, th- this off season will really shape a lot of this and it's going to be incredible to see um, how this all shapes up. So uh, that was just wanted to, you know, look at some of the key dates from the storm season. And thankfully, you know, we have a finally a positive Brittany Griner update. Uh, finally, uh, in the early hours, early morning hours of December 8th, we would find out that Brittany Griner was finally re- released from Russian custody. The United States released Russian arms dealer Victor Boot in the exchange, according to their multiple reports on Thursday. Griner had been imprisoned in Russia since her arrest on February 17th on drug charges. She had been convicted and given a nine-year sentence, spending 294 days in Russian custody. Um, it's great to just finally see Griner uh be able to get away from all of that you know just considering how hellish you know i had imagined that being um and just hope that things are you know gonna go well i know that uh over the weekend i had read the report that she had uh gotten a workout in uh first thing that she did was dunk so that's nice to see but just you know keeping track of this timeline yahoo sports did a great job of sort of highlighting this back in february 17th february 17th she was detained going through security at an airport after officials found vape cartridges containing hashish oil in her luggage uh russia didn't announce that for several weeks though so with russia going through uh their uh troops invading ukraine this complicated Griner's return before a lot of people even know that this was a thing that was taking place, you know, um, May 3rd, the government classified Griner's wrongfully detained. Uh, the WNBA put the BG logo on every floor on the courts. Uh, just, you know, really tough situation to follow really. And, you know, having the tough uh, update that we did for you last week and just glad that, you know, just a few days after a few days after that, we have a positive update to share for you. Um, and just, you know, just to address the sort of comments and the stupidity that we get whenever we give updates on Brittany Griner. This is an American citizen. You know, I have to put that up there as one gold for this country on multiple occasions. Whereas, you know, the red, white and blue represents this country on s- several different occasions was prescribed. This is medically prescribed. Um it's a hashish oil. I'm not too, you know, up to date on THC and all that, but this was medically prescribed. It wasn't just, Oh, she had weed, do the crime, do the time sort of thing. This is medically prescribed to help deal with pain. And it was a much smaller dose than an actual, another American um, had been carrying, I believe a few years ago. And she had gotten a much shorter sentence than the one Griner got from the start. This was a ploy to exploit Griner because of her status. And, you know, unfortunately, I know a lot of people get angry and say, you know, all these horrible comments because of who she is as a black woman in this country. Uh, Just for shame, honestly, for shame, you know. So glad to have Griner back, really. Um, Something I talked uh, about with our lead photographer, Liv Lyons, um, was that Griner had uh, shaved, you can see in the photo, her hair had shaved her hair off because of how in the uh, penal colony that she was in, 
while washing her hair and then heading back to wherever she was would cause her to be really cold. So she had shaved her hair in preparation for the long run. Just a shame. Just a damn shame. So glad to know that Griner is back in American custody and, you know, she'll take things day by day, uh, but just glad to know that she's back and she's safe. So we will uh, now move over to our sounders here with a smaller bit of news. On December 7th, it was announced that young uh, former midfielder, I guess, Reed Baker Whitting is training with SC Freiburg. He could head out on a possible loan. That is what Freiburg is currently um, looking into. SC Freiburg is in Bundesliga, currently sitting at second in the Bundesliga table. They're a German club that is exploring a loan with an option to buy Baker Whitting. Baker Whitting has apparently been training with both the first and reserve teams as a right back, and Freiburg is potentially interested in bringing him on in a loan with an option to buy. It has been common for MLS teams to retain a significant sell-on clause when they send young players to Europe, something the Sounders did when they sold Henry Wingo to Norway's Molde and later collected an additional $200,000 after he moved to Ferencavaros. Notably, Baker Whitting wouldn't be able to actually move to Freiburg until he turns 18 in March. So the young 17-year-old drawing um, the attention uh, on the international stage, um, I know that uh, Craig Weibel, as general manager now of the Sounders, has said that he is going to look into op- uh, loans more, whether that's players going out or coming in. Um and this would be a big one to begin. I know a lot of uh, media covering MLS and soccer as a whole has revered Baker Whitting pretty highly. Um, so it's obvious that, you know, there's there's spotlight on him. Um, but w- whether that option to buy is there is something I think is key because, you know, getting him some experience and having him train over with Freiburg is great for his development. Uh, but do you want him around or do you say, hey, you know, we're going to take – the potential option to buy and just run with that. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Um, but it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to note that as, again, as a 17 year old, you know, he's, he's getting this sort of attention. And again, I know that a lot of media has kept an eye on him and reviews uh, sees him as a potentially great player going forward. So keep an eye on that. Um, transitioning here over to our Kraken here, um, who, you know, had been in a little bit of a rut, you know, they lost that last game of the last week that we had been giving you updates. Um, and it continued in their games on December 6th and 9th, December 6th versus the Montreal Canadiens, a four to two loss to close out that homestand player of the game forward Shane Wright, Wright scoring his first career NHL goal against the team that passed him up first overall in the draft, uh, doing so in the first period, uh, really nice to see Shane do that. And then well, we'll get to the news about it. But it was a nice week, effectively, for Shane, uh, you know, scoring that first NHL goal. On December 9th at the Washington Capitals, a 4-1 to loss. Played the game defenseman Adam Larson. Larson scoring the only goal of the game for the Kraken, uh, recording one point, a one plus minus, three shots on goal, six hits, and two blocks. So Seattle, you know, in a three-game losing streak, kind of unfortunate, you know, frustrating Defensive lapses remained apparent and, you know, sort of unsure when that'll change. You know, that win, that losing streak started in a 5-1 to one loss against the Florida Panthers. The teams would rematch on December 11th in Florida's house, and Seattle would win that game 5-2. to two. Player of the game forward, Andre Burakovsky, one goal, one assist, two points, a one plus minus, two shots, and two blocks. Now, before we get to general discussion on these three losses, I'll go over player of the week for me. I selected... Philip Grubauer. Now I know this. Philip's been the uh, topic of discussion for a lot of fans, whether they know about uh, the actual game of hockey or their box score watchers, or they just like to just pick on the goalie because it's an easy scapegoat. Well, I'm not here for that sort of thing. Um, Grubauer, you know, over the past week, you'll see the stats here, a 0.08, a 0.890 save percentage recording 57 games, 57 saves over the past two games he's played. The Florida game was tough due to poor play all around and a power the Panthers power play going three for four. Seattle gave up a bunch of stupid penalties in that game and just did not play well at all in the loss to Florida that began their three game losing streak. But you look at the game against Washington, the four to one loss against Washington there. Grubauer actually had a 2.2 goals saved above expected versus the Capitals against his former team. Um, And just if you've actually been watching this game, these games like we have, Grubauer has been 
exceptional. He's been great uh, and has been keeping his team in games. But, you know, the casual fans, the box score watchers, those who don't actually watch the game of hockey that's taking place in front of them on their screens, you know, in the arena, or maybe you're listening on the radio with our guys, Everett Fitzhugh and David Amundsen, um, don't know what they're talking about. You know, if again, if I had the opportunity, if I had the technology to sit here and we'd go on like on ESPN and I blow up the play and I circle where the turnover happens, you know, in the own D zone or where both defend defensemen come down um, and leave the goalie exposed, I sit here and do that with a lot of his goals um, just to expose how poor that narrative is against Grubauer. But just seeing the play, the including this Florida game, uh, the past few games, um, for this, uh, well, I wouldn't include the Montreal game. Martin Jones had a few uh, those goals he should have saved. Um, but just knowing that you've got this talent and goal, and you know, Shreve Briere, the goaltender coach, has done a solid job. Just the defensive mistakes have been poor. And I've been talking to someone, uh, made a great point about yesterday's game was that. That was an all-around win against Florida, five to two. Yes, that last, that second goal that Florida got came in the late stages, um, but Seattle played a really solid game defensively. And that first goal, actually, I just I gave the example. Um, the puck was behind the net, and both Kraken defenders came behind the net. That can't happen. Uh, you can't have both of your defensemen do that. And it left a Panther skater uh, wide open net front uh, to beat Martin Jones. Um, it was a solid game all around. Seattle looked much better than they had in their last few games. And it's a sign of what this team, as I've talked about several times before, what they can be. So happy. Just hope you can continue it because this road trip doesn't get any easier. Now, we'll talk about the road trip in a bit, but we do have a good amount of cracking news to go over here. On December 7th, uh, just shortly after Shane Wright scored his first NHL goal, uh, Shane Wright headed to Moncton and Team Canada. Uh, and will play in the World Juniors for his native Canada, coming off of a high note of scoring his first career NHL goal. You can see the celebration there captured by Liv Lyons in that photo. Assuming that Team Canada plays for a medal, Wright's potential return game with the Kraken would be on January 7th at the Ottawa Senators. So hoping that you know Shane's able to do well there with Team Canada. He goes over a successful conditional loan with AHL Coachella Valley, scores his first NHL goal with the Kraken once on, upon his return, and then heads to World Juniors with Team Canada. So it's a solid solid time right now for Shane Wright, I'd say. In less positive news, on December 10th, defenseman Jamie Alexiak was suspended three games for an illegal check to the head on Washington's Alexer, Alexander Alexiev uh, in that tough loss to the Capitals. Now, you know, when I talk about that Capitals game and how frustrating that was, this was it. Uh, Alexiak just uh, a lot of people have mentioned his height. You know, he's a six, seven guy. I understand it, but it was a poor check. Uh, obviously hit Alexiev in the head. That's unfortunate, but Alexiak has just been a guy that has made a lot of defensive mistakes this year. And even last year, uh, you know, I know he's a favorite, you know, there's the big rig comment, the nickname and all that sort of thing. I like his ability to bring the puck up the ice, but at the end of the day, he makes a lot of defensive mistakes and that hurts this team. Uh, it's just been a frustrating sort of occurrence and th that's, that sort of thing has got to change. His, his play has got to change. He's got to be better uh, just generally. So uh, December 11th, it was announced that, oops, there we go. Uh, Samantha Holloway has joined her billionaire father, David Bonderman, as an equal co-owner of the Seattle Kraken. Holloway has founded two tech companies and was named chairperson of the Kraken's executive committee back in March. Holloway becomes the NHL's third principal female team owner. Uh, and we'll have some more info on that for you next week when we get into more of a deep dive on that. But we do have a good amount of Kraken news to get through. But congratulations to Holloway on that honor. You know, the third principal female team owner is a big deal in and of its own. Um, on the 12th, the team recalled defenseman Gula, Gustav Olafsson from the Coachella Valley. Oops, wrong one. There it is. Coachella Valley Firebirds in 15 games with Coachella Valley. He has five assists and leads all defensemen and shots on goal per game at 2.13. Has played one game with the Kraken this year, as you can see in the reverse retros against the Winnipeg Jets in overtime loss there. So that comes, that sort of move comes um, after, you know, obviously there's the Alexiak suspension. So that's why Kel Flurry played in last night's game. But also in last night's game, uh, Ryan Lomberg of Florida 
got hit a little bit by J- Justin Schultz uh, in a play. And as retaliation, Lomberg boarded uh, Justin Schultz and kind of messed him up. He didn't, he, he left the game, went straight to the tunnel after that caused a fight. Um, and so the move to bring up Gustav Olofsson is the reason, uh, no, the move to bring up Gustav Olofsson is a corresponding move to Schultz's injury, I'm sure. We don't have an official uh, word on, let me see, I don't believe so. No, we don't have an official word on the Schultz injury, but I can imagine if Olofsson was already brought up, it's not a good move. It's not a good sign. Pardon me. Uh, also, on the 12th, as you already saw, the team claimed Eli Tolvainen uh, off of waivers. Uh, as a corresponding move, Carson Kuhlman was placed on waivers. Uh, Tolvainen has a stat line of 26 goals, 26 assists, 51 points, over 135 NHL games, and is a 23-year-old, 23-year-old, pardon me, who is a former first-round pick by Nashville. Uh, just the general idea that I get from looking into this guy is that um, he's a fourth liner, uh, which is fine. Um, that's what Kuhlman was, and he didn't make too much of an impact, I have to say. Um, the shot that this guy has is what's the most impressive, and our buddies at uh, Emerald City Hockey have said if he, if, if the coaching staff is able to unlock that shot, he can be a contributor to this team. I mean, he's young, 23 years old, former first-round pick by Nashville. Um not the worst stats over 135 NHL games, but obviously I'm sure he was placed on waivers for a reason. Um, and he could be a contributor to this team. Again, the same person I've been discussing with, we've talked about Carson Kuhlman, and a lot of the times when Kuhlman gets ice time, it's it's not necessarily as effective as it has been this year. Last year, a little bit more after being claimed off of waivers uh, about a little over halfway through the year. But this year is just effectively doing cardio on the ice. And that's, you know, you got to be able to contribute, uh, especially when Kuhlman comes in, he's usually a scratch. So, you know, when a scratch is able to get time, you'd like to see some sort of impact being made, some sort of positive outlook that just hasn't happened. So um, move here potentially will be exciting to see what Tolvanen is able to contribute um, in his time in Seattle, uh, Seattle threads. So uh, we look ahead here. We don't have any league news for you. We look ahead to the uh, upcoming games for Seattle and this road trip continuing their record sits at 16 wins, 18, eight losses, pardon me, three overtime losses sitting at second in the Pacific division at 35 points as the LA Kings lost last night, uh, which, uh, the Seattle has a tiebreaker over them looking ahead. December 13th at the Tampa Bay lightning is a 4 PM puck drop. Uh, so Seattle heads down to the 2020, 2021 back to back Stanley cup champions of uh, to can try to con- build a win streak. And then December 15th at the Carolina hurricanes is a 4 PM Pacific time puck drop as well. So you get a rematch against the hurricanes after a brutal uh, blowout loss to them earlier in the season at your house. And then Seattle will return home on December 18th against the Winnipeg jets for a 5 PM Pacific time puck drop. That is a rematch as well as you saw with the Gustavo Olafson photo. So Seattle hoping to sort of, uh, it's, it's a tough road trip to end on a tough two games to continue, but you know, if we, we see a lot more of the team that we saw last night, I have more confidence in this Kraken team than not. So uh, nothing directly rain-related as we switch over here, switch our gears, uh, but we do have some league-related notes. On the 5th, Chicago Red Stars owner Arlem Whistler is selling his stake in the team. So another owner that has unfortunate um, – not unfortunate that is done bad things uh is shelling his stake in the team so that's good to see uh especially with the move from uh Merritt Paulson selling his stake in uh well selling the Portland Thorns so you just like to get all the bad apples out of the NWSL um you know we obviously want to see this league succeed and having people like Whistler and Paulson in the league don't help that on the ninth, it was announced that uh, Brazil, Canada, and Japan, those national teams will join the U.S. women's national teams uh, in the 2023 She Believes Cup. So some smaller news there. We head over to our Seattle Seawolves, who, as I said, continue to be busy. Uh, on December 5th, the team signed number eight slash flanker Ronan Foley. He is signed through the 2023 season. Foley was a late season MLR signee for the Toronto Arrows in 2021, producing several strong performances in his short season. Um, 
racking up 27 tackles with a 90% completion rating, 129 carry meters on 21 carries, 47 ruck arrivals, four tackle breaks, four lineout takes, and a breakdown steal. In the 2022 season, he finished number one in the MLR for the number eight position in run meters, meters gained, tackles made, clean breaks, and was voted the 2022 Player of the Year by the Toronto Arrows. Originally from Ireland, Foley first joined the Arrows after playing with his hometown club, University College Dublin of the All-Ireland League. The loose forward started with UCD's U20 program in 2016 and was promoted to the senior side as an underager one year later. Awarded the club player of the season and players player of the season in 2017-2018, Foley captained UCD in the club's pandemic short in 2020-2022 season. 2021, pardon me. Foley represented Ireland at the 2018 Six Nations U20s Championship and has featured for Leinster A and earned one cap with Leinster's senior side in 2019. Um, with a comment from Coach Clark, Coach Clarkie, when Andrew Durotalo decided to retire, I was excited at the opportunity to recruit someone of Ronan's caliber. His positional stats for MLR 2022 are standout. He adds significant quality to our forward unit with the ability to play across the back row. So as the Seawolves admin has hinted on, they weren't done. Um, on December 7th, the team signed prop Jake Turnbull, 29-year-old, 6'2", out of Waverly College, has spent time with three MLR clubs, now four with the Seawolves, uh, those previous three being the Houston Sabercats, Old Glory DC, and the Austin Gilgronies. In the 2022 season, Turnbull became the 18th player in MLR to take the pitch for 50 matches. Uh, Coach Clark said, I am thrilled that a player of Jake's quality and ambition has chosen to join our club. He arrives with notable frontline MLR experience and adds significant competition to our front row. We're delighted to welcome Jake and his partner, Tegan, to the Seals family for the 2023 season and beyond. So looking at all of that, looking with the accomplishments of Foley, Turnbull, look at uh, Mooneyham last week, Peterson as well. The Seawolves team continues to add talent. It's incredible. Uh, you know, veteran talent. Uh, I know that Foley's not, you know, the youngest guy in the world. You know, but with Mooneyham, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, this is a team, granted, that uh, they did so with Austin and L.A. being disqualified from the playoffs. Uh, this is a team in Seattle that fought their way, you know, from the last week of the season through the playoffs uh, to an MLR title appearance falling short against Rugby New York. This is a team that's adding talent. They're reloading after making that appearance, you know. I know that 2020, you know, shortened season, 2021 didn't go the way as expected, but 2022 was overall solid. Um, I know record heading, record heading will be out for the earlier part of the season, but this team, you know, with the talent they're adding has to have you a little bit excited. I know if you're not, if you're, you know, maybe leaking into the Seawolves segment, you're not typically checking out our Seawolves uh, part of the show. This is a, a, a team that's won two of our titles already. And they're one of the most well-respected franchises in Major League Rugby. So to see them continuing to add, to seeing them continue to reload after uh, MLR title uh, appearance is exciting. You know, just knowing that what this organization has accomplished and what they're capable of going forward. And I'm really excited for the MLR season. Um, <coughs> excuse me to begin and to get back to it. So uh, now we'll switch over here to our Seattle Sea Dragons who unveiled their 2023 jerseys. I know that um, there was a little bit of debate about them. We'll get we'll give you a look here. There was a little bit of debate. People weren't exactly too excited about it. Um, you can see them on the mannequin on the left, uh, on Ben DiNucci on the right. We'll give you... A look here at the uniform combinations, the orange top, the white bottoms, the white top, the orange bottoms. Um, these jerseys are made by Umber Under Armour. We'll show you the helmet. Uh, the process was a collaboration between XFL ownership, marketing, and Under Armour teams. Each jersey features a blood, sweat, respect mantra, a personal message from ownership to players, which is sublimated on the interior collars of all team uniforms. Uh, we're just going to keep this short as I continue to show you the uniforms here. I'm okay with the orange. I know that was a, a key sticking point uh, last, last time the uh, XFL existed, but it was more the blue and the green were also more integrated in it. You can see here, the orange is taking more of a primary spot. I know a lot of people compared them to the Denver Broncos uniforms. I understand that. 
I'll give them, I'll give them, uh, give them a chance. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give them a chance, see them on the players, see them in games. But I can, I can understand where the likening for that is. Um, I want to also go over some uh, league news here, some notable rules in XFL if you're unfamiliar. So obviously the XFL is American football, similar to the NFL in a good amount of ways, but there are ways that they're different. Uh, there are two options to keep the ball after scoring. You can get a traditional onside kick anytime during the game or a fourth and 15 conversion from your own 25-yard line, which is only available in the fourth quarter. On kickoffs, the kicking team and return team start play five yards apart. It eliminates high-speed collisions and enhances player safety per the XFL. Uh, 92% kickoff returns in the XFL 2.0 compared to 39.6% in the NFL. The average XFL drives hard at the 29-yard line compared to the 25-yard line in the NFL. I know that was something that a lot of teams uh, at the NFL actually looked at uh, when the XFL 2.0 existed. An extra point. So tiered extra points are back from XFL 2.0. Teams will have three options for extra points following a touchdown. If you start at the two-yard line, it's a one-point conversion. From the five-yard line, it's a two-point conversion. Or the 10-yard line is a three-point conversion. It replaces the traditional kick, providing teams a chance to score more points and build excitement within the game. It was pretty exciting when it was around. So uh, we will wrap up here with our Seattle star of the week. It's not a team, not a Seattle team, but rather a place. Rough and Tumble Pub recently opened. They had their opening weekend this past week. Uh, just a quick, we'll go over Rough and Tumble for you here. A quote directly from the website. We play women's sports on big screens with full sound, served up with good food and good friends. We've got a seat for every fan who wants to tune in and turn it up, no matter if that's on the court or the pitch, college or pro, icon or underdog. 18 screens in a space for 160 of your closest friends. We like to think of it as the most intimate stadium experience Seattle has to offer. Cold beer within reach, a full menu that knows both classic and home team favorites, and a stunning space that's anything but the cheap seats. Located in the historic Henry White Building, Rough and Tumble's inaugural home is one of storied history with hand-hewn beams, high ceilings, and industrial windows that open up to the Salish Sea. The pub retains the feel of the site's original sawmill. We're honored to carry forward the legacy of grit and gumption that shaped this place, adding women's sports to this uh, roster of ways the region has always pushed for better. So Rough and Tumble Pub, if you can't get it from that sort of general introduction there, is the first... Uh, primarily women's sports bar uh in seattle it's uh i believe the second on the west coast um sports bra in portland was the first there the owners uh were of the sports bra were actually at the vip uh opening the night before the grand opening uh and it's a really cool spot i went there for that vip opening and uh for opening night uh, to watch that Kraken game against the Capitals, which was unfortunate, but it's a great atmosphere. If you love local, I mean, we're circling Seattle sports. The local thing is kind of inherently built in. Um, a lot of local beers, a lot of locally sourced food. If we look at the menu, uh, the a lot of the options are named after Seattle sports uh, icons, LJ's Jalapeno Bites, Lauren Jackson, Gold Mamba Nachos, Jewel Lloyd. Um, the Lulu is a salad. That's Lou Barnes. Um, the Quinny Shop, Quinn with the storm, uh, the rain. I was getting ahead of myself. The salads, the Stewie, Brianna Stewart. The Rainstorm Burger is, you know, I don't need to explain that too much. The Bird, which is a chicken sandwich. Sue Bird, Fishlock and Chips, just Fishlock. Um, let's see, where else? The OGBLTA, I'm sure that's a reference to the rain. Um, let's see, what else do we get here? But you can get to get the idea. Uh, it's a great space in Older Ballard, uh, right on Shilshul Avenue. Been there a few times. A great location. Talking about the windows that open up to the uh, Salish Sea. Uh, that'll be a great spot in the summer and you know in the spring with the Women's World Cup coming up this summer. Um, it's awesome. Jen Barnes, the owner, has been awesome to us. A lot of the staff members already know what we do here at Circling Seattle Sports, so that's great to see. So I want to give a big shout out to them, you know, uh, for having us at the VIP opening, uh, you know, opening night. Just incredible, and I'm excited to be there, you know, for all of the away games, you know, that our rain and storm are playing. Is also just in general, you know, um, obviously we're at all of the home games here in the city, but. Those away games need somewhere to really call home, and Rough and Tumble is going to be that spot. And excited to see the growth of that and see that place packed for years and years to come, hopefully. So, 
That's going to wrap it up here as we look ahead. The Seahawks play a tough game on Thursday night against the 49ers coming up that could play a spot in their season. Uh, fortune, the Mariners continued their offseason. I know a lot of people are hoping that they do some uh, do some damage in free agency, but we might have to be patient for that. The Storm are looking ahead to their 2023 schedule and still have to make a lot of moves in free agency in the draft. Uh, the Sounders could be loaning young Reed Waker Whitting to FC, SC Freiburg, and that's still up for uh decision to be made the kraken are coming off an impressive win against the panthers but have a tough road ahead with two games left on their road trip before returning home the oil rain remained quiet over the offseason but we continue to roll through their offseason as well the seawolves continued to add talent to their roster and they're looking to maybe uh hoist the third mlr shield in 2023 and the seattle sea dragons unveiled their uniforms as we continue to inch closer and closer to xfl 3.0 kicking off in february so until we see you next week on oh boy we're going to be on december 19th we're really approaching the holidays here folks i want to remind you happy holidays be safe out there on the uh ice and the slick i kind of roughed up my my palms a little bit here take care of yourself uh you know just remember that you know life is about moments uh want to give our thoughts to bell rod and matt as well and hoping to see them back with us again whenever they are ready to make that turn appreciate curtis back behind the camera doing what he does to get us uh looking as good as i can right and until we see you next week do whatever you can to make today a great day Thank mm-hmm. you.